Like all practitioners of woke capitalist social media spirituality, we began the year by setting our intentions. Breathe deeper, live fuller, practice spiritual hygiene, establish boundaries, manifest destiny, empty the mind, numb the senses, stop freaking out, calm down, live and let goddess. But when we stepped out of the studio and into the light, we remembered that we live in hell. And though the road there was paved with good intentions, we weren't quite sure how to act on them. So we did what we always do. We grabbed a microphone, hit the streets, and went looking for new, sustainable, and unconventional ways to stay sane and make meaning in 2019. You know, you want to understand that my purpose is in my pain, Lord. Jesus, people don't realize that, Lord. That's because everybody don't believe in They say that when you feel your life's too hard, to just go have a talk with God. And as luck would have it, we ran into a gentleman who knew how to get a hold of her. Officer Jesus, you already know. You do creator, you create a man to be creative. So man made the cars, you create the trees, the air. Man made the tires, the football, the basketball, the balloons, but your air in them tires. In order to block, in order to play football, you got to block the football. And man made the machine all the way to the club. But when you plug it in, now God electricity it won't work. Somebody can deliver it right now, fuck God ever. That plane won't even be flying up there in the air. First of all, you create the sky, so it's fly without the gas, it won't even move. Faith renewed, we hopped a train to the beach to look for more answers. But it was January and the beach was empty, and so was I. But as luck would have it, I'd made an appointment at the Araragat Float Center for Harmonic Consciousness a few days prior, and as luck would have it, the spa was just a few short steps from the Brighton Boardwalk. In the 50s and 60s, a Cold War-fueled fear of brainwashing gave rise to a series of CIA defense experiments around human consciousness and mind control. But what's this? The man seems to be soaring. In 1954, a researcher at the National Institute of Mental Health named John C. Lilly built a dark, soundproof tank, filled it with saline, and became one of the first subjects to experience sensory deprivation. It's hard to stay in place for a person who finds himself in a condition of weightlessness for the first time. And here I was, 65 years later, eager to conduct an experiment of my very own. Hi. Hi. You're so early. I can go to the cafe. And you can sit, but I need to prepare the cabin. Come. Right here? The spa was outfitted in a floor-to-ceiling cloud motif, dotted with hearts, stars, and all-seeing eyes. This veritable sky lounge was powered by crystals and atomic imagery and enriched with pillows, affirmations, and pillows with affirmations stitched into them. I read each one carefully as Araragat's manager, Elena, My name is Elena. carefully prepared the isolation chamber that awaited me just beyond the clouds. The chamber was decked out in a celestial panorama that rivaled the sickest posters in the headiest freshman dorms of the American Northeast. Behind its vacuum-sealed door, Elena poured 1,000 pounds of salt into a tub big enough for two, and as the particles got to know the water, I got to know the process. Uh, the session will be 60 minutes. The first 10 minutes will be light and music. Then I turn it off, it will be full darkness and silence. If you feel uncomfortable, you have your own light on this side, so you can turn it on and turn it off. Uh, when you hear uh, the voice that the session is over, you can come out, take a shower, and the tea will be waiting for you. All that stood between me and the peace that can only be achieved through 60 minutes of total solitude, deafening silence, and spooky darkness were a few short steps. Uh, so the first what you need to do is take a shower. If you have any styling products, you need to wash it out. Mm -hmm. Then you come out, wipe your face, 
and don't forget the earplugs. Also, if you have any cuts, wounds or damages on your skin, use the Vaseline, okay? Shampooed and showered, I tiptoed out of the sky. With the door hermetically sealed behind me and the safety light off, I began my ascent into the void and did what any enlightened individual trying to meditate and fully engage with the present would do and began scripting the VO for this episode. It went... This month, we're finding our faith and losing our religion. First, we tap into the Earth's frequency. Next, we grind the rails, take a breath, and say a prayer. Then, we talk about faith on the subway with strangers. And finally, we mind the gap between the medical and the supernatural. All the while, we're holding hands in the light of the super blood moon. In the end, we found more peace than we bargained for, and a lifetime supply of serenity. Now, it's back to life, back to reality, in Brooklyn, USA. More and more, music and vibroacoustic therapies are used to treat PTSD, Alzheimer's, and dementia. Ultrasound technology is used to scan and diagnose, but is also used by physical therapists to treat pain and promote tissue growth. If, as percussionist Evelyn Glenny says, hearing is a form of touch, it can also be a form of healing. Here's Nate. In some ways, it's a bit misleading. When I first started facilitating these, they were not popular. So there was a lot of education and conversations about what it is, what happens to you, fielding questions like, how do you, how do you travel to each location with a bathtub? People calling up, inquiring, like, do I need to bring a towel? You know, it's a weird title, Sound Bath. But it's fitting in the sense that, you know, you're, you're totally being engulfed or bathed by sound. My name is Nate Martinez. I am a musician and producer and sound therapy practitioner. Sound baths have been around for a while. Sound, in the sense that it's inducing trance or meditation, has been, you know, since the dawn of our human existence. You know, when you go back to, uh, like, Pythagoras, sound was a, you know, it was a medicine back then. So there's always been a sacredness to it and always an understanding that there's a power to it because it's intrinsically connected to vibration, and this is how we experience the whole world. Sound and vibration. That's what, that's what this world is. Sound isn't just in one location. It's not in the location where the instrument is. What happens is that there's an instrument and there's an impact hit and the resulting tone of that is a wave. It moves around rooms, but we're not impervious to it. It very much travels through us. One simple way of looking at that is through bone conduction. If we're standing on concrete and there's a truck that drives by and hits a pothole, you know, the reverberation of that impact hit travels through the ground, and as long as our feet are connected to it, it's going to move up our skeletal systems. About a hundred years ago, you had these symphonies in all these different cities over in Europe, and historically, you tune to the space that you're in. 
so you're working with the acoustic resonance of the space. There was a decision to universally choose a frequency that all these other instruments would be. So popular music as a whole, probably 98% is tuned to 440. There's definitely an open conversation and argument, depending on who you're talking to, about what that means. The healing power of music. We've all heard about it, but for some reason, it's like we never find it. Maybe someone, maybe some Nazi um, got us all on the wrong track. Some people say that 440 is discordant. Um, and their argument is based on an understanding that if we are tuning everything to a resonance space, uh, one way of looking at it is, well, Earth is emitting a constant frequency. When you actually measure it, you can't hear it, you can't feel it, it's just too slow. It's like between, I, I believe, 7.82 hertz and 8.2 hertz. And that range shifts because when you have electromagnetic storms, there might be spikes with that energy. But more often than not, it would be 8 hertz. What's up, people? Michael Thompson, the Copper Warrior, is here. Hi, everyone. I'm Rick Beato. Hello, I'm James, and I'm going to talk about 432 hertz. A subscriber by the name of 47 Chakras. He has said, can you please explain 432 hertz in a video? 432 hertz is perfectly divided by 8. is in. The Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, everyone is involved. There's another conversation about it's not just that it's the way that it's tuned, but how we're receiving it. You know, what you're losing out in digitizing things. What is closest to having an instrument in the room? And that's where you sort of lead back to a sound bath is because at least the way that I approach it there's no amplification of sound. The delivery system is the space you're in. It's not being compressed by or degraded by any choice of microphone, any choice of cable, any choice of amplifier. Everything else that we experience is all kind of going through all these delivery systems. You know, I didn't experience a sound bath until I started exploring training. I've been a musician for upwards of 30 years. I've studied extensively. I think with, with sound, we break it down into music and noise. And when we experience it, we've been conditioned to experience it mostly as a performance. And so with the idea of it being a performance, we're heavily relying on our sense of sight. So I've had experiences with music that have shaped me but when I had my first experience while I was in this certification program it was remarkable because it was a way that I hadn't considered sound before. Ideally you're walking into a relaxing space. There are typically cushions or yoga mats laid out. You're going to begin to lay down and get comfortable resting your body. I always begin by working into some breath work. 
And then it's about introducing a variety of sounds. So I use a frame drum that helps us sort of entrain and fall into the experience. It can be very fast, but it's always going to begin to slow down. The way that I work is I kind of incorporate a variety of sequences. Nothing's predetermined. Crystal Quartz singing bowls, Himalayan singing bowls, rattles, chimes, overtone singing, uh, shruti box, different sounds. All the instruments, the idea at their core is that you don't have as strong form relationships to these instruments. You may not know what it is. Uh, more often than not, they're more open and drone-like or have the ability to be long, sustaining. Part of our brain is, you know, hardwired to the performance aspect of what's happening. Like, I need to know what that is, you know. But actually, in this instance, you absolutely don't. I mean, you can think about it for a while if you want, but you might be better off spending your time just exploring what's coming up for you, not trying to analyze the moment. Not even just sounds that are happening with the instruments, but also environmental sounds that are happening naturally. It's about including everything. and bringing everybody back up. I usually try to incorporate some additional breath work and then, and then we're done. They say that meditating is like exercising a muscle. The more you do it, the more natural it starts to feel. We spent a summer day with Muhammad Floyd, a young man from Mount Vernon, New York, who's put in his 10,000 hours and picked up a few tricks along the way. Here's Muhammad. When I think of meditation, it means grounding yourself bringing yourself to a calmer state. People are depressed and I feel like people did meditation 
people will be way more mellow and have the tools to deal with the world. My name is Muhammad Floyd. I'm from Alberta, New York, and we're in my place right now. I was born into Islam because my dad converted when he was 17. And then my mom converted after she married my dad. And they raised me and my siblings all Muslim. I'm a Sufi Muslim. We meditate and we try to get closer to God. The niche or the group I'm in is called Tariqa Burhaniya, and I'm a Burhani. I just gotta get these beads, and that's it. We do extra upon prayers five times a day and fast during Ramadan. My dad's collected pictures ever since he's converted to Islam. This is like one of the earliest, earliest pictures I've ever seen my dad own. And he met the religious teacher at that time, which is known as the Sheikh of our group or our Tariqa. And from him, he learned a lot about Islam, about being a Burhani, about meditating the way we meditate. Every year, my dad travels to Sudan to meet the sheikhs and the people are closer to God because that's where my dad wants to be. He loves it. That's where he feels like that's home because he's close to the people who do nothing but worship religiously of Islam and meditate religiously. We have a group meditation on Saturday nights called Hadra. Because as a Sufi, we believe the way towards getting closer to God is through meditation. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Of course. Where, where would I be okay, if I wasn't what's there? This, this fake swear and stuff like that. You just, you know, you I just work hard. Last, last minute, you just throw you some, 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 some water. Just, uh, you put. <laughs> okay. Where are you gonna post that? People are drawn to religion for many reasons. I think it's naturally something that people just gravitate towards. Religion just gives people answers. Personally, now as a 26-year-old where I'm more mature, religion is like a foundation for me. Muslims is to enter into heaven. And I feel like having that discipline from there, religion helps.
I've gone to religion to keep myself from almost getting too angry or going crazy. A cop pulled a gun out on me once in the Bronx. I was scared out of my mind, super anxious. Because I had religion and I knew I could meditate right then and there. <sighs> that literally gave me the ability to go, yes sir, give them all the papers they needed, answer the questions and I was on my way home. That doesn't happen for a lot of people. That is why I meditate. Make sure I'm grounded, make sure I'm calm, peaceful, that I can handle almost anything that comes at me. What's up, it's your boy Moby here. Yo, watch, you can see some cool, cool trick. All right, yo. So skateboarding and religion are really important to me because I use them as coping mechanisms or as ways to keep myself grounded and happy. Growing up, nerdy, dorky, black kid in the Bronx, skateboarding has helped me in self-esteem. It's helped me realize what I wanted to do in life. It's even helped me make a lot of the friends I have today. In skateboarding, you had to put yourself out there. So you have to ride a board in the street, fall in front of people, get back up, laugh it off, and just keep on going. Skateboarding is under my feet, and I can apply a certain amount of pressure, flick my foot a certain way, and I'll know what to do exactly to change it. I don't have anything it compares to because there's nothing, honestly, that just like gives me, I guess, a, in a sense of a high where I'm doing and I'm just like, wow, this, this, this is good. This is a really good feeling. And that's even different than when I'm meditating because when I meditate, it brings me in a better, more calm state. But if I want to get into a happier state, skateboarding does that for me. Now I have these moments where I would just break down through tough times. So tired. Because I was skating so hard for so long at low points in my life. That's what I'm fucking talking about. I literally felt like I was on a euphoric high. Yeah. I'm all better, all better. I know skateboarding and religion are gonna be part of it for the long run because no matter how successful, how happy my life will be, I just know there's gonna be times where I'm gonna rely on those two things. 
In 1904, the newly formed Brooklyn branch of the Mormon Church was just a few hundred members strong and relegated to meet in lodge halls on top of saloons and bowling alleys. Today, the church owns real estate all over the borough and membership has grown exponentially. We rode the train with two of its newest members. Here's Sasha. One early spring evening, I boarded the G train at Fulton after leaving work to go have dinner with a friend. Heading home after work, I looked up and a pale blonde boy in a white short sleeve button down with a black name tag was sitting next to me. Yep, I lied for convenience sake. He looked just like the boys in a subway ad for a Broadway musical. Knowing exactly what he wanted to talk about, I waited. We chatted for a while and I was waiting to reject his offers. But I was surprised when halfway through the conversation, I didn't feel like I was being coerced. He made me comfortable. This is my first time coming to New York. Yeah, for first time, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, for myself, it was something that I did not expect because I thought it was like fantasy stuff because like I watched all the movies and stuff of like New York when I got called here. And then like I got on and I was like, oh, this is definitely not something I expected, you know? Ever since I've been here, I don't really look at like oh, like the Statue of Liberty or it's Manhattan. I actually look for the people that I actually came here for. My name is Sister Emma Naria. I'm 20 years old. I have a twin sister and three little sisters. My dad's from Samoa and my mom is from Wyoming. And I've grown up in Utah my whole life. My name is Sister Esther Muti. Um, I was born in Tonga, but moved to Utah when I was eight. I come from a family of six. I'm the youngest, three boys and three girls. Sister Naria and Sister Muti are missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're currently based in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And so what that is, we come as volunteers to help others come closer to Christ and to receive his gospel in their life. You might know their church by its former name, the Mormon Church. But in August of 2018, the church announced they would no longer refer to themselves as such. So we come for 18 months away from our phones, our families, our jobs, our education, to help others to find this in their lives. Sister Naria and Sister Muti both have long, brown, wavy hair. They wear long skirts and short sleeve blouses. Besides the distinctive black name tag, they look like standard college kids. You can see Joanna. Oh, we didn't call her to confirm. Do you want me to text her? Yeah. Where is she from? I don't know. I met her on the D train. <laughs> Depending on the day, we'll have lessons where we teach people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We help them to make those changes. And as we're traveling from reaching out to people, we'll, we'll invite other people to come closer to Christ. We'll invite them to church. We'll invite them to pray about a pamphlet we give them and to find for themselves if the message that we share is true. I spent a Thursday afternoon riding the subway with the two sisters to learn what a typical day is like for a young missionary in Brooklyn. 59. Oh, well, we could take the end train all the way down. So, man, we were so not prepared for this. So, we have been companions, is what we call it, for a month now. And it's really cool to see. I've seen with different companions something I needed or something that I was able to help them with. I see that Heavenly Father really placed us in each other's paths. Did you from work? Nice. What do you do? That's a stranger she just approached on the subway platform. Oh, both of you. Yeah. Okay, fine. Do you like it? All right. Yeah, sometimes. I really, I don't really know much about that, so. <laughs> That's cool, though, that you can do that. Is it like this area, or? Yes, this area. 
Okay, cool. We have our church right over there. That's why I'm coming to this area. Have you seen it? 8th Avenue and 60th Street. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you seen it? Yeah. Pass by? Yeah. You never been inside? After boarding the crowded rush hour train, I watched them as they picked out people to start conversations with. So when we get on a subway or a bus and we're trying to decide who we need to talk to, it goes back to that morning when we have prayed. We have asked Heavenly Father to place people that are prepared to receive this gospel in their lives. And countless times I've had where I meet someone and it's so cool to see how God has prepared them that they're like, I was just praying about this or I'm going through this. That's crazy that you talked to me. And it doesn't surprise me because I know that I had prayed for that and God had directed me. Just like we know that this book will bless your life. And as you as you learn more about it, we know that Heavenly Father will bless your life ten times more than we can ever see before, you know? And so like do you think we can be able to just um, maybe you could check it out and then like you can give us a call back on the on our phone number. Yeah. yeah? Okay, definitely. And do you think we can like text you and just like send you a little daily quotes of like um, scriptures with you? Yeah? Okay. She is not the first to give the pair her phone number. Uh, we're not going to tell people. We're not here to push people and, and convert them. We're just here to invite people. Invite them to come closer to Christ. They're like, are you trying to convert me? But we just say, we're trying to invite you to come closer to Jesus Christ and to find these blessings in your life because I can tell them that it's true all day, but everyone needs to find out for themselves. Hey Daniel, it's the sister missionaries, the one you met on the train on Wednesday afternoon. We were just calling to see how you were doing and to see um, if we're still able to meet on Tuesday next week at 11 a.m. Just give us a call back. Hope you have a great day. Bye. You want to call that one? Um, how are you gonna call? So have um, so you met them in California. Hmm? Have you met you met the missionaries out in California, like the uh, the one with the black name tag? Oh, okay. yes. Yeah? Okay. So, I literally you was not a big fan of missionaries, so... <laughs> Before my mission, so I never really hang out with them. Because I wasn't really close to the church at all in the beginning. Like, this was never my plan to come out here in the mission field. When I went to Tonga, like, missionaries was, like, everywhere. Like, literally, like, behind our house, pretty much. Like, I was just never a big fan of, like, learning about the church and stuff, but... Man, I was just like a little stubborn little girl, you know, thinking that I had to do anything by myself. I don't really need God's help to help me at this time. Did you grow up in Brooklyn? From where? Really? That's where everyone wants to go vacation. I just love to share. Do you ever go back? Others find even when it is a lot of energy and a lot of effort, it's totally worth it to bring others closer to Jesus Christ. So what's your name? Roxanne? That's cute. Sister Naria. I'm sure you saw. Irina. <laughs> okay, okay. What do you feel like brought you like peace or joy in your life? Okay. You're not like spiritual at all, yeah? What what sources do you go to for like happiness? Nothing? In a couple months they'll head home. Their official time as missionaries will end and college will continue. 
but they'll tell you their work as disciples of Jesus Christ is never over. Even when my mission comes to an end, I still get to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. I always think of the mission is that this is training wheels, but when we return home, those training wheels are going to come off. Yeah, it never really ends being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what our whole lives are. No matter where we're at, we might not be living by the schedule from 6.30 till 10.30, and, but living as Jesus Christ would live is going to be our lifelong way of living. Brooklyn Outpost Redux is an audio series developed by the Brooklyn Public Library. Over the course of a six-week workshop, 10 aspiring podcasters learn the ropes and hone their craft. And as luck would have it, one of the pieces produced in this year's program was the exact kind of story we needed to hear. Here's Lorena, but her friends call her Bonnie. My name is Lorena, but my friends call me Bonnie. A quick fun fact about my name. I was named after a Puerto Rican woman who on the same day of my birthday decided to cut her husband's private part and toss it on a bridge, all because they were having domestic violence issues and he used to beat her up. Now, my mom didn't know what to name me at first until she saw the news, and I guess she loved the story and um, the reason as to why she did what she did, so I guess my mother decided to honor her and name me Lorena. Now, every time I say my real name, people always say, oh, that's like the lady, Lorena Bobbitt. So yeah, nice fun fact about my name. Now, the title of my story is, Is Santeria Real? I chose to speak on this topic because I would like to convince individuals that supernatural encounters can be real. Black magic, white magic, voodoos, and selling loved ones to Satan in return for goods is very real. I also chose this topic because I want to speak of my experiences with the supernatural as I come from a very strong religious and cultural background. Santeria is a very delicate religion that requires a lot of dedication and worship. Santeria is more like an underground religion that I would like to bring awareness to. I hope you guys love my podcast and enjoy. My name is Lorena. Um, my friends call me Bonnie, and um, I love to sing. I love to dance. Um, I'm just a very bubbly person. And even though I'm a bubbly person, there's a lot of things in my life that has happened. And I have now found my way in a relationship with God. I have a bright light. I everything I do is to help and give good luck find love, find money, um, relieve stress, you know, just for, for career-wise, I help you career-wise and stuff like that. But um, we can help, that's why we have our saints. My light is a bright light, is to help people. But there's some people that do use, that do use their stuff for, for very bad things, they do bad to people. But you gotta understand something about Santeria. Santeria, when you do something bad to someone, when you do a bad job with someone, like you, you're throwing, you want that person to be dead, you're throwing bad stuff at that person, all of that comes back to you. 
All of that comes back to you. When black magic, all of that comes back to you. Bright light magic, what you're gonna do, all you're gonna receive is blessings by helping someone else. Black magic, all of that comes back. Family members die. Um, it, it's it's supernatural stuff start happening in the home. You know, you won't live in peace because you have hell in your house. You have black darkness in your house. So that's why, you know, a lot of people die and, and without heart conditions, without no type of problems. Like, there's been a lot. It's, it's two different types of Santeria. The Santeria to me, for me, it means you have this special gift that God gave you um, to help others, to help yourself, because it's mainly to help yourself and your family to, you know, sometimes you have a dream and it's warning you about things that's gonna happen. You have premonitions. If you have kids, you know, protect the kids. Um, I feel Santeria on my behalf is just to help others. It's a special gift God gives you. It's an extra gift. So if God is giving you that extra gift, then use it. Use it, you know, worship it because if he's giving it to you, it's for a reason. And that's how I feel. He gave me my saints for a reason. And it wasn't to do bad. It was to help myself be the woman that I want to be in life, help myself in career-wise, um, take care of my children, and all that type of stuff. And when it comes to Santeria, it's kind of mixed, mixed in with mental health, but it's not really mental health because some people... They claim, you know, some people are bipolar. You might not be bipolar. You might just have, you might just come from that type of background where you have a saint and that saint's character is on you, you know? And you act according to that saint. And you might not remember and stuff like that, but it's not that you're bipolar. Sometimes there's, I'm not bipolar, I know that, but medically I'm bipolar because if I sit there and I tell my therapist oh yeah I have a special gift that God gave me saints I have dreams and stuff what she's gonna say I'm crazy super crazy right but um it's 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 a lot to it um I know I don't have a mental health problem in reality it's just I have I come from a background where um, I have many saints, um, I have many characteristics inside me, many personalities is how I look at it. And you know, and well, one saint wants something, they'll let you know, like you'll feel it and stuff like that. It's not like you're going crazy. So that's my point of view in Santeria. If God gave you that gift, use it. Use it for good, help others, help yourself. <laughs> For over a decade, the New York City Wiccan Family Temple has been practicing magic and observing holidays in community centers, parks, churches, and private homes all over the city. On one of the coldest nights of the year, their members formed a circle in a vacant dance studio in Lower Manhattan to celebrate the equinox and ring in the super blood moon. Here's Reverend Star Ravenhawk. People these days have so much tools at their disposal to find out what something means. Just Google it, you know. 
but they would not do that. They will simply come at you and say, you're satanic or you're, you're the devil worshiper and you know, like all the, and I just stand there looking at them because to me they just appear ignorant. My name is Star Ravenhawk and I am the elder and reverend of the New York City Wiccan Family Temple. I don't think you can define it in one particular sentence or paragraph. I think just about any Wiccan or witch, they will all have their own definition, but yet we all kind of say the same thing. It's a very nature-based religion. When we, <laughs> the, the so-called evolved human, kill off certain things or beings or species, there's a disrespect there for life in general. We somehow think that we are the ones in control of balance, where I think nature does its own thing. Element of the North, powers of Earth, I summon you to the sacred circle. Grant us wisdom and knowledge, and guard this circle. Hail and welcome, blessed be. Hail and welcome, blessed be. I've been a witch pretty much all my life. It's just um, a matter of being aware of it, I guess, in the sense of as you get older. But um, I've been, to me, in my head, I've always been a witch. I'm born in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and at, from a year or two years old, we lived in Canada. You, you're always what your family is, and we were Catholics. I had my communion and the whole bit, and we would question the prayer books and ask questions about it. And I got smacked in the face for asking certain questions. I traveled across Europe, and then on my way back, I met my husband here, and we got married, and historically, that's, that's it. He was my best friend, my life mate. We, like, we were like Matan Jav. People used to say, like, don't you ever go anywhere without your wife? Or don't you ever go anywhere without your husband? We're like, well, we go to work separately. <laughs> so collectively, we were doing really well. Um, and then he passed away from leukemia. I've been a reverend since 2012. Most witches become reverends through Universal Life Church and all the other online ones, because in general, they have no other way. So I decided I am not doing that. I am going to find a way to be able to ordain our own people. So I went down to City Hall and I did everything they asked me to do. I wrote my own articles of incorporation. I wrote my own bylaws. Um, I wrote my own mission statement and I'm the director and I basically am the one that ordains everyone. How much was it again? 15. 15, yes. Oh, perfect <laughs> for both. We're at um, Playwright Studios. It's called Playwright Studios now. We like to be outside. Believe me, we do. But when it's this cold outside, uh-uh. What they'll call literally freeze the witch's tits, I'm not having it. Mm -mm. <laughs> freeze the fingers, I'm not even giving you a chance to get to the tits. No. <laughs> it's too cold out there. <laughs> um, what I am doing is I'm helping to set up the altar. So what we have to do is... Um, it's. It's the same kind of thing as like any other religion's altar. It's just that we don't have a permanent setup. So we have to put... We pretty much just use a, a table for an altar and we, we um, do what we have to do because we're not allowed to have... Indoors, it's, it's a bunch of rules. You're not allowed to have lit candles. You're not allowed to have incense. So we have to have like um, the battery-operated candles and we, we, we just have them smell the, <laughs> the incense <laughs> because that's the best we can do. We make it work. This is what we would use for incense. We can't light it in here. We have a libation bowl, which is a basically like an offering to the gods and goddesses. And the way that you do that is see all the, see all the cookies. I'm Lelian. I am a second degree student who is not yet going on to third degree. I've yet. Give me about three years and then I'll get there. I'm going back to school. Um, I've been with the temple for about 
two years now. I found them actually through the Pagan Pride uh, day. Can you describe what you're wearing now? Can we not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, old school 90s, 90s woman, you know, I have my, my lovely, what's this called, like a Ralligan shirt. It has a Snorlax Pokemon on it that says, eat, sleep, battle, which is generally my modus operandi, but. Okay, if that's north, south. Uh, Jerry, this works, right? I think we interest a lot of people. So a lot of people will come for different things and then, uh, oh, this is not like the TV and all the media stuff where you just blink an eye or you flick a finger and, or twitch my nose and things are a certain way. We can go from five people here to 200 people here. So I've been part of the Wiccan Family Temple for a year and a month. For a little over two, uh, yeah, a little over two years. I'm kind of new to the whole thing. I've been very spiritual my whole life, and finally looking for something that to belong to. I've taken two classes for their first degree training, so still very new here. Oh, my name is Nick. Hi, my name is Timothy Bagley. Jerry. My name is Michelle. Um, to be completely honest, usually the odds are stacked up against women, so I really am not going to try to complain when it's I'm the only guy in the room. I grew up um, as Unitarian Universalist. The church that I was raised in had a Wiccan circle, and so I like grew up seeing that and doing some rituals with them. You know, I was raised Christian, and it was always like, if you're not Christian, you're wrong, you're burning in hell. I didn't like that. It didn't taste good in my mouth. Um, what made me decide to join the Wiccan Family Temple was uh, the need for a community that felt safe and united. Um, I could not really find it anywhere. It's not something that's like open in my family or like with my friends. So it was just the perfect place to go to feel like I belong. I am open and I'm not open. I mean, my family doesn't really know about it. But like, I'm open with my friends and I'm slowly kind of like not caring what people think only because I know how good it is to me and I know there's nothing bad about it. Um, so it's like half and half. I mean, we're in essentially what is a, a dance studio type room white walls, mirrors on the walls, like dance floor in a building that has like multiple rooms exactly like this. There's, you know, there's nothing special about this room like other than the wonderful things that are happening in it. All right, let's get going, girls. We begin the ritual with the casting of the circle. And cast this circle in. We bring in the energies, we talk about this particular full moon because every full moon has a sign that it's in. Like tonight's zone is Leo. This circle is now cast. Let none leave but with good cause. So mode it be. So mode it be. The full moons are all celebrating the moon cycle, which affects everything that happens on this planet. And the sabbats are all seasonal. Everybody kind of celebrates it, even when they're not witches. We've got Yule, winter solstice, the 21st. After Yule is Imbolc, the sun is beginning to come back to the planet. After Imbolc is Ostara. Ostara really is where it came from at Easter. After Ostara is Beltane. Beltane is celebrating the phallic symbol, the male and female. The maple, phallic symbol. Litha, Litha is summer solstice. And after summer solstice is Lunasar, which is the first Harvest. Then Marbon is the, which is September, our Thanksgiving. And the last harvest would be Sour and Halloween to you guys, which is our New Year's.
when the full moon is in Leo, and especially um, any kind of lunar eclipse, lunar eclipses means that there's a lot of beginnings and endings. Um, Long ago, when I first came here, the witches were more unified in the sense of they were all, oh, you're a witch, great. But then they didn't look at your race in that time. At least it didn't look that way to me. You know, you do this blanket thing in your head. Oh, we're witches. That means we don't see things that way. We see everything as everyone being the same. But that's not true. And I've realized that. Take an objective look at your private lives, your relationships, uh, and listen to your intuition, your senses, to remove the things that does not serve you. And that includes the people. I have had people come and go, and when they leave, they would say, I needed to learn from a white person, or you don't have anything to teach me, you're not white. So in a way, now I kind of just stay to myself and stick to what I believe and try to instill that in my students and everything that we do. There's a statement I read by Angela Davis and she said, I forgot how it went, but it, the way it was basically is I'm not gonna try to change everything else outside of me. I'm only gonna try to change what I am willing to accept and you will make sure to take care of you and do the things that's you. Take yourself to a movie, I'm saying that all the time, right? <laughs> I do movies a lot, but take yourself out. Take yourself to a dinner movie. Who, who's gonna stop you from taking yourself to a movie and a dinner, you know what I mean? Who's gonna stop you from going to that uh, massage therapy or whatever else that you wanna do for you? You know, my husband used to take me once a month to the bathhouse, the Russian bathhouse on, the, on 10th Street over there. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, Everybody's mode of witchcraft kind of comes differently based on their experiences in life. For me, once my husband passed away, I became this person that thought I'm the only thing between my kids and the world. So I literally went and learned wushu, Muay Thai, kickboxing, um, bodybuilding. I used to do championships. Well, even before he died, I trained him. So I kind of, I apply that to my craft, my witchcraft. Unlike other religions, our spirituality, everything that we get comes from within us. We don't need a reverend, a pastor, a minister, or a priest. The other religions need that go-between. We do not. There's nothing supernatural about us or what we believe in. Everyone has abilities. I don't care who they are. It's a matter of accepting that and respect in general for everything that has life. Um, what spoke to me about the religion was the fact that it was about like self-empowerment and that there were no specific rules that you had to follow. It was more about trusting yourself and knowing that the power is more within you. So full moons for me are very much about self-empowerment, about being in touch with the goddess, um, sense of community to be among other witches. You know, there are a lot of religions that all have really beautiful tenets to them and are founded on really beautiful principles, but the structures that have built from that are, are very much in favor of certain people. It pretty much, it was like my, my savior, my like self-help, like my therapy that I couldn't afford but gave to myself. <laughs> As an AFAB like person of color, like finding a place in a community where you can feel like you have power that's outside of white hetero patriarchal structures. I, I don't want to say that those structures aren't still there because you it's systematic and you see that everywhere. Um, but I think here, you have the chance to express that if you're feeling that. You can have the conversation and it's welcomed. Um, and that's like, for lack of a better word, magical, you know? <laughs>
Watch over those of us gathered here and keep us safe in your loving arms until the moon is full again. Blessed be. I guess we kind of just, I mean, we, we close it with, with saying goodbye and thanking the gods and goddesses and all of that. But we also have this saying that we all kind of say, Mary meet, Mary part, and Mary meet again. We release the circle as our sacred time is ended. Until we meet again. The circle is open, but never broken. Mary meet, Mary part, and Mary meet again. Pretty much it. Brooklyn USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias. And me, Emily Bogosian. Thank you to Shitty and Bargy for generating a spark of magic in the dead of winter. Thank you to writer and content creator Lorena Reyes de la Cruz, aka Bonnie, for reminding us to use our magic carefully and often. Thank you to Brenda Bent-Peters, Sarah Delanoy, Onel Moulet, Liam Billingham, and all of Brick's adult media education team for their help getting this piece to us. This piece was produced in collaboration with Canva as part of the Brooklyn Public Library's Brooklyn Outpost Redux series. To hear more of the series, click the link in the show notes. Thank you to Sasha Whittle for making friends with strangers on a train. Thank you to Kyrell Palmer for having the stamina and battery power to travel from a skate park on the Lower East Side to a backyard in Mount Vernon. And thank you to Emily from before for getting in sync with the universe. Thank you to the Elenas from the Ara Ara Gut Float Center for putting me in the pod and the pod in podcast. Thank you to Destiny Blackwell, our vintage summer intern, for making this house a home. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending another season living, learning, laughing, sound walking, regular walking, and making noise with us. We'll be back on our bullshit at the end of September, and we'll be bringing you more stories and sounds from Brooklyn, USA. If you want in on that, send ideas, thoughts, flack files, suggestions, strongly worded letters, but mostly just emails, to radiopitches at brickartsmedia.org. And check the show notes for a link to our pitch page if you want more info. This episode featured music from the DeWolf Music Library. If you like what you hear, think we got something wrong, or just want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us at Brick Radio, or rate and review the show on the apps. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org radio. Is waiting for you in our guest room. See you soon.